Welcome to Beginner Women, a podcast where we throw out our adult agendas and focus on what it takes to shape a new future for girls and young women. From education and career to health and wealth, we talk to experts, thought leaders, and extraordinary women who will challenge the way you think about girls, women, and ambition. Here's your host, Katherine Cornfield. Welcome to Beginner Women. I'm Katherine Cornfield, founder of Ambitious, and that's Ambitious with a She, where we take a unique approach to leadership and career development. We've helped hundreds of girls and young women to develop autonomy, agency, and purpose by equipping them with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. We started this podcast because we know how important everyday role models are And we want to empower you, parents, educators, and other caring adults with smart, actionable strategies to help the beginner women in your lives reach their full potential. Thank you so much for joining us. I am thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Golnaz Golnaragi, an advocate and consultant in the areas of inclusion, belonging, and women in leadership. She is founder of her own consulting company, Davidity Group Incorporated, and founder of Accelerate Her, a career accelerator for young women of color. Golnaz is a proponent for systems-based solution, applying an intersectional lens on data-driven decision-making, and a strong believer in the importance of developing future leaders. In her TEDx talk, From Silence to Voice, Golnaz shared her very personal journey to embrace her hybrid identity as a Muslim feminist. Dr. Golnaragi is also an award-winning scholar, She earned a BCom from the University of British Columbia and holds both master's and doctorate degrees in business administration. In addition to her consulting work, she is currently an associate faculty member at Royal Roads University. Golnaz is also an investor and proud funder of women-led startups through SheEO and the Founders Fund by TST, and volunteers her time mentoring girls from diverse cultural backgrounds through the Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Halton and Hamilton, Ontario. So obviously we have lots to talk about today. Thank you so much for taking the time to to join me. My pleasure, Catherine. It's going to be a really great conversation. It's very interesting and I'm looking forward to diving in because uh, we have lots to... Lots of common interests. So today, I think we'll we'll start a little bit with your own career journey, including your shift into academics, which is of interest to me. Meaningful ways to work towards diversity and inclusion inside organizations and, and society. Um, the importance of developing future leaders, and of course, your accelerate her uh, career accelerator for young women of color. So, let's get started. Let's do this. Sounds great. Okay. So here at Beginner Women, we love to engage thought leaders and experts, but I never ever like to miss the opportunity to contextualize, especially when it comes to women leaders like yourself. So I want to, of course, start with your own story. I understand that you took a turn towards academia and consulting, but but after 15 years in marketing management roles with uh, multinational consulting and professional service firms, what prompted that pivot? What was the driver? And what did you set out to accomplish? That's a great question. Uh, So I'd like to start briefly where with how my journey even uh, working with professional services started, because uh, I think it's very relevant to our conversation, uh, particularly around beginner women. So when I was in university at UBC in my fourth year, Catherine, I really hadn't mindfully thought about my career until that fourth year, which to me was, you know, in hindsight, a bit problematic. And my first opportunity uh, came through really 
from seeing a posting on my professor's door asking about it. And, and he is what I would consider my first real sponsor where uh, mm-hmm. he actually recommended me to this one particular firm for an interview. And had that not happened, A, had I not not asked about it, but B, had he not referred me, I don't think I would have applied. And that's really what prompted initially my career in professional services. So for a first career, um, it was absolutely fantastic because I had the opportunity to launch uh, the marketing role and department for this one particular firm in Vancouver. And that uh, sort of navigated into a 15-year career that brought me eventually to Toronto back in 2001 with um, another large professional services firm in a national role overseeing their marketing function for retail and consumer markets. Uh, Eventually, what really prompted me to shift was really becoming a mother and having to commute uh, to Toronto and, um, you know, navigating a very, very demanding career and juggling the different balls that one has, um, particularly as a working mother. And the decision did not come lightly. To be honest, I actually worked with a coach for about a year to make an informed decision around what that next career would be for me. And that's where I landed on academia. And uh, what I actually negotiated with my employer at the time was to work four days a week, full-time hours, and taught for one day a week to really test that that career to see if it's something that was aligned with my strengths and my passions. And I loved the experience in the classroom with students and ultimately made the decision to shift careers into academia um, very intentionally. You've almost scooped my next question because... uh, First of all, thank you for sharing the the sort of the the preamble, the prelog to that shift, and obviously that that transition from post secondary into the workforce. In your case, um, well supported by by a sponsor, and then having that early experience be very very positive. Um, but then that that sort of hitting that wall of uh, reality as a mother with the commute and so on. Uh, that was my next question is how did you go about practically making that change? And you you did. You 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 did very deliberately seeing a coach and then testing it out and then very sort of consciously making making that shift. So so thank you uh, for for sharing that. I know that uh, young women today are likely gonna have to make those shifts many times in their in their career. So it's it's really uh, helpful and beneficial to hear your example. Uh, especially because it was so conscious and and thoughtful and deliberate. So uh, next up, I, I I'm now going to shift to that sort of academic milieu and that environment. I know from my research that you uh, would characterize yourself as an intersectional feminist management scholar. So I was hoping that you could break that down for our listeners a bit. It would be really helpful for us to better understand your academic work on leadership and diversity and inclusion. Uh, inside organizations or otherwise before we dive into the next uh, the 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 next the rest of the discussion for sure so when I navigated into academia um, I was in my early 30s and um, at some point I decided I wanted to pursue my doctorate which I started in my late 30s and so Delving into my coursework and my research, um, that's really when I started exploring issues of gender and diversity and intersectionality, not only in terms of, for example, um, 
newcomer immigrant women um, and how they see themselves, but also their labor market experiences, but also in particular Muslim women and their experiences within North American context. So the label of, if you will, intersectional um, uh, feminist and management scholar is really what I stepped into as I started delving into the research and, and working through my doctorate. And really what, you know, the research woke me up to as an immigrant woman who has been living in Canada for many, many years, is that um, there are multiple overlapping um, aspects to our identity. And intersectionality is a work that was essentially popularized by Black feminists. And one notable one is uh, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. And so you know, in, in my case specifically and in the research, um, when you have gender and when you have race and culture and religion sort of overlapping, um, those experiences, uh, lived experiences can be quite different when, when we look at these intersections, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. So was the focus of your research then uh, those intersections inside organizations or inside uh, within the context of society? Because you talked a bit, a little bit about the labor market. Yeah, integration. that's a great so, question. So I would say both. So one stream of my research really looked at um, constructions um, of Muslim women in Canada, really within the context of some of the policy moves that uh, were coming out of Quebec. And I was curious as to, you know, why was that happening in Canada? But more importantly, how do Muslim women define their own identity and then how others may define their identity as well? And I primarily delved into uh, media, newspaper articles to do that um, assessment. And that was more societal, if you will. And then another stream of my research really looked at immigrants and, and particularly racialized immigrants, newcomers to Canada and, and the their labor market experiences specifically. So I would say both, depending on which stream of research we look at. I see. So I, I, I know you and I have, I have talked before, and I have some background in uh, in labor market integration as mm -hmm. well, having spent several years um, at the, the Department of Citizenship and Immigration, which is not called that now. It's called IRCC. Um, but I think what's interesting is that you took sort of the first that that media lens and and sort of took that approach to understanding how society uh, might perceive some of those intersections. Uh, but then your work in consulting is more is and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that you're working more inside organizations to develop um and maybe tackle the systems inside organizations to help improve uh, the integration and inclusion and diversity component inside of organizations. Is that is that accurate? To some degree, I would say that my consulting work, I mean, the, the, what you've talked to is absolutely of utmost important to me, whether it's as a consultant, as a human being or an, or an activist or advocate for this work. Uh, most of my consulting um, to date has really been around team development around these issues, uh, leadership development around these issues, as well as program development. So, for example, uh, I recently came off a three-year project for a not-for-profit organization that works with youth from diverse, young women from diverse cultural backgrounds. 
And um, that work was really around creating programming and curriculum um, that would support young women in navigating the multiple aspects of their, of their identity, both um, within their, their school life, but also within the different communities that they see themselves in. So my work sort of has tentacles not only into the not-for-profit world, as well as academia and for-profit organizations. Interesting. So in that program design and the curriculum design, when you define young women, are you are you working at a certain age or stage or are you are you taking a broad lens? Is it because uh, I know your accelerate her stuff is more um, early career. So absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I would say with uh, the consulting work, that particular project focused on um, young women, girls between grades six through eight, because that is quite a pivotal, pivotal time. Um, on my own work with Accelerate Her Future, uh, the focus is specifically on self-identifying women of color in college and university uh, business and STEM programs. And the reason why I have that particular focus is not only from my own lived experiences, so being in university, it wasn't until my fourth year that I even started intentionally thinking about my career. And also having taught for over a decade, the number of women that I've mentored and the themes that sort of came forward, as well as my research. And so I recognize that there's so many amazing programs that uh, kind of focus on girls and young women like Ambitious. Um, in my work, I chose to work with the group that is in college and university and, and really starting the conversation around career development, as well as how our identities play into that starting in year one, right? Year one of, of school, as opposed to what I did, which was um, in some ways lucky, but in some ways a little bit later, you know, than, than what I would have hoped for myself. It's uh, it's so interesting because, I, I mean, I, I'm so thrilled to have you here because I, I know that there's so much commonality between your experience uh, in the, it, well, your academic experience and my and my um, sort of professional background. And then and then in your uh, sort of desire to to program and 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 sort of design interventions for women, girls and women at almost similar stages uh, to me, in other words, mm-hmm. uh you know, you're, you talked about that project with uh, grade six to eight, which is a very, very pivotal time. And I do want to come back to that because that is um, where I started as well. And I want to maybe unpack why you, st- what, what you learned about that and see how similar it is to what I've learned. Uh, but before I do go back, I want to talk about the, the sort of that driver to create Accelerate Her Future based on your own lived experience, which is that you didn't think about it uh, early enough in your mind. And so you're doing what you can to help uh, flag some of that thinking for young women uh, early. And I find in my own work with Ambitious that I have um, a similar uh, drive, um, less so about the post-secondary and more so about the early career. Uh, and I often have uh, women uh, of all kinds at all stages, young and old, uh, personally and professionally tell me, I wish I'd have known what I know now, or I wish somebody had told me what you're now telling young women. Do you get that? All the time. So it's, it's, that's quite interesting all the time. So 
last year, I hosted a design session uh, for 25 plus women that really informed the Accelerate Her Future concept. Again, because I didn't want to do this out of a vacuum of what Golnas thinks needs to happen, right? Um, we all have different experiences. And so from that session, five women stepped forward, volunteered their time to work with me in bringing our first event, which was a summit that we held in October to life. And the common denominator between why they all wanted to work with me and, and their incredible commitment was, I wish I had a program like this when I was in school. Yep. And, you know, that's very telling. And then flash forward to the summit where we had uh, certainly um, students as well as recent graduates. We also had mentors that are quite senior within their organizations. And even they were saying the reason why I want to be a part of this is because I wish I had a program like this when I was in school. So that's absolutely a common theme. And, and I will add, you know, personally, uh, beyond thinking about my career in, in year four. Um, also, you know, there were other barriers as well, now that I reflect back that I couldn't have labeled at the time. And a couple of examples that I see in some of the young women that came to our session are things like, my mom worked uh, six to seven days a week to support her children, me and my brother. And so that meant that I really had to rely on, um, you know, teachers and whatnot, because we didn't have connections into uh, um, employers or influential people. So I really needed to rely on my community within my school. And I was lucky that I had a professor that saw something in me and actually made a difference. So access to influential people and decision makers, as well as that mentoring, are things that I see today that may be lacking that we're trying to address through Accelerate Her Future. That's that's fantastic. I had um, that the same sense. I mean, obviously, very, very different lived experience. I'm Canadian born. I, I grew up in the middle class. I grew up in Ottawa where, uh, you know, my first job was on the Hill uh, through people I knew, but I still sense that there are things that we, we aren't collectively, uh, and maybe we're just growing aware over time of those things that, that didn't exist uh, when, when we were younger. And there's such a strong desire among women to really pass that knowledge backwards and and to 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 give it tangibly to the next generation of young women and i i experienced that in the programming with with the same sort of draw with with mentors and and women who are a little further along in their career who want to who want to pass that along and to really make clear what the barriers are in some cases but also to share the experience of and and the actionable tips about sort of how you can navigate and what might be missing in your toolbox and that kind of stuff. So it is striking how similar the the impetus we both have is and yet the program intervention is is it's not as similar as maybe it, or maybe it is. I, I would be curious about sort of what is the content of the curriculum. I know I'm really focused uh, on money business and politics as sort of the the pillars, if you will, that, uh, that go into just about all the decision-making organizationally and societally. And, and, uh, so for me, it's very knowledge driven. Is your programming more, uh, around competency or is it around context? Is it, 
is it what what does the substance of of the accelerate her um accelerate her future summit look like so that's again a great question um so bear in mind that we have launched once and it was really a pilot and the content was really first and foremost about creating a safe space for storytelling and and honest conversations and a space where the students and graduates and early career women that were uh, a part of the experience could really connect with peers as well as our mentors and speakers, first and foremost, so community building. And then we very intentionally uh, with um, the, the summit team that was working with me, that is working with me, Um, came up with programming that was incredibly tailored and customized um, from, you know, part inspiration where we um, had Komal Minhas, who I think you know uh, very well from from Ottawa, actually came as our keynote and um, Changemaker Talk. and, And she shared a very powerful, vulnerable, real story about her lived experience. And the saying goes that you can't be what you can't see. So I think it was quite um, moving and powerful and, and, you know, uh, quite a unique experience for these early career women to see themselves in the speakers and what they were uh, listening to. And so moving on from that, then we created kind of uh, programming that was part fireside chat, kind of, you know, in terms of exploring what are the potential landmines and barriers that one might experience in the workplace, recognizing that it may be different for each and every one of us. Yet how have two successful women navigated that and, and what solutions and tips and advice might they have to share um, we also had a panel of recruiters because that's a big one for for early career women. Like, how does that really work? What happens behind the scenes? Um, how can I build relationships with recruiters and be noticed? How do I stand out? Uh, as well as networking, um, very practical session on like, what do we really mean about networking and, and how do we navigate spaces where we may not see ourselves in the room in a meaningful way, right? So again, bringing that intersectional lens into the programming um, that in this case was very career focused, um, as well as um, focused on building those relationships with the mentoring. So that mentoring was peppered all the way throughout, whether through breakout discussions or you know, time for for the women to speak with their mentors. And as we move forward, um, we're now collecting and looking at themes that came out of our um, post-event surveys, which we had over 50% response, which is quite high, uh, to kind of do the visioning and programming for next year beyond a summit and what that could look like. So maybe in a year I can share more, uh, but at this point, that's really where we're at. Well, that's uh, that's great because that was actually my next question, and then I am going to circle back to to those middle school girls because I can't quite keep going without <laughs> doing that. But my question was, um, with uh, with respect to your sort of your summit, your pilot, um, what what you started with, and and what you've heard, what is what is sort of your big takeaway from from that experience so far? The biggest takeaway is. You know, when when I look at the ecosystem, right, so when I look at um, not only as a professor researcher, but also now um, launching Accelerate Her Future, I think colleges and universities, um, the career centers, they truly, from my experience in navigating and working with them, they have been so supportive of Accelerate Her Future 
they really genuinely care about the future of our students and their careers. And so it was really lovely for me to see how they embraced what we're doing. That sends me a signal that there's a need for something like this. Um, as well as employers, so from the mentors that we had on board and their support for what, what we're doing, that also um, gave me a signal That's that great. there's a need for something like this. And the biggest takeaway is that ultimately what we're trying to do is create a safe space for these important conversations. And again, I can't stress enough, you cannot be what you can't see. So how can we, as we navigate forward with Accelerate Her Future, is to create more opportunities for um, early career women to have to interact with mentors, to have honest conversations and explore um, and build their network, as well as a more intentional approach to dreaming big and, and really fulfilling their careers and, and potential at the end of the day. Well, that's very, very promising because uh, I, I sense in my own work that same need and that same openness and, and this very sort of early, maybe dawning realization that those early careers or that transition from school to work and that early career is really, really critical in terms of uh, providing the right information at the right time and to getting, being very tangible and practical with Absolutely. young women so that they, they can take that sort of medium to, to long-term view. So I'm going to actually circle back because you did talk about a, a large project that you did uh, around, um, and I think you said it was programming for girls in sort of the six, grade six to grade eight range. And I was hoping briefly, if you could just describe a little bit about what that was and then what you took away from it, I, I'm curious. I can't help myself. For sure. So uh, this is a project that I did um, with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Halton and Hamilton. Um, and that particular organization, I've been a mentor, big sister. I started being a big sister in grade 12 with back at, when I lived um, in the U.S. And I've always had an affinity for their work. And so uh, they have a program called GLOW, which um, is primarily focused on building the leadership um, skills um, and, and some competencies, for sure, for girls from diverse backgrounds in grades six to eight. And when I came on board working very collaboratively with, uh, with the team, um, we basically, our, our goal was to not only scale the program, but also to build the curriculum and, and move the program from a seven-week offering into, the, into a 10-week offering because that was really a need that was identified. And so while at the same time ensuring that the, the girls that were part of this this program, um, regardless of their background, um, that we have the conversations around identity and stereotypes, as well as um, uh, inclusion and all those different pieces, as well as practicing leadership. And so for three years, we really embraced a design thinking mentality where throughout the three years, as we built the program, tweaked it and developed it and measured and tracked impact, very much um, kind of peppered with research, making sure that we got feedback and research and data, both quantitative and qualitative from all the key stakeholders, as well as the girls, because they're an important stakeholder, to make sure that the program was sticky and had impact and was, was meant to do what it was supposed to do. And I'm so proud of this project because ultimately um, the data was incredibly positive and what the teachers um, and, and some of the um, stakeholders were seeing was behavior change 
and more confidence and, and all these different pieces. So it's really about the young women, the girls embracing who they truly are, right? It's not about, it's not about fixing. And I know you and I have talked about that, but really how do we step into our leadership and step into our personal power? Um, one of the most impactful programs I've been a part of. Fantastic. I mean, I am familiar with Glow now that you uh, that you shared it, and I was not aware that you were uh, as involved as you were. And um, it's it's interesting to me because I think what I learned, and I I did start. I'll be quite honest with my own adult agenda. I went looking for something that didn't exist for my daughter um, at a particularly uh, challenging time in my life, uh, with a convergence of circumstances that led me to think that um, something should be there for all of us to to go and sort of equip girls with. So I, and she was in that sort of phase of grade seven, she was in grade seven. So just having sort of left childhood behind. And so I started with that agenda and I feel like I've become, I've gone full circle to advocate because mm -hmm. I, I found that um, there's so much noise uh, and so much sort of cultural narrative around um, girls at that stage that we miss a little bit that they are beginners, which is where beginner women come from, right? They really mm -hmm. are beginner adults. They have left childhood and there is a loss at, at that point. They've, they've changed. They've gone through a massive transition, not just in terms of their, their developmentally and physiologically and so on, but they've, they're now in the midst of changing uh, how they go to school. They're changing their routines. Their relationships are changing uh, with each other, with uh, boys in the classroom, there's a whole set of expectations that that are automatically placed on them, and nobody's actually given them the memo. <laughs> and I would add, social media has also a huge yeah. impact at that age, right? That's another complexity. Yeah, and so I wonder because I know I know that this is you're probably the only person who will understand what I'm asking this, but I I really wonder, and I'm, this is, I did not expect to go there with this uh, question, but I'm going to, um, I really wonder if the concept of social capital ought to be a, a sort of applied to young women at that stage and that, the, that they don't have any in mm -hmm. the sixth and seventh and eighth grade. And yet we label that as a loss of self-esteem. And mm -hmm. I, I'm curious about your perspective on that. I think that's a great question. Um, you're making me think with that question. Um, I Good. think the idea of, so yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, when I think about um, social capital, I think with the work that I'm doing with Accelerator Feature, if we can start focusing on that notion, the earlier, the better in terms of supporting young women um, towards, you know, that career transition. So yes, I think it's 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 a great concept to consider well before even college or university. That's great. So um, I'm happy to hear that. Because <laughs> um, it's something that uh, in my, you know, it's been five years that I've been delivering my programming as well. And it's really something that I, I have taken away and to heart. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I talk about that shift from sort of being an adult with an agenda to an advocate for mm -hmm. girls, because I really feel that there's, there's, there's a missing piece there. There's sort of a societal yeah. and cultural expectation that all of a sudden they are in a set of expectations and they literally are in the midst of a massive transition that has been studied in other realms and other domains and, it, and, and yet not applied in that, mm -hmm. in that context. 100%. And I think that this idea I was going to add with social capital, certainly at that age, 
at any age, but particularly at that age, starts with um, relationships with peers and relationships with other um, girls and, and young women that are in their circles, right? Because a lot happens there as well um, in terms of those relationships. But the, the notion of social capital, I think, is, is a great one to bring into that sort of context and beyond, if that makes sense. That does to me. So for our listeners, if maybe because I'm totally geeking out now and I'm, 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 I want to <laughs> wrap us back around. But for our listeners, could you maybe briefly describe social capital? I, I have my own definition in mind, but uh, maybe you could, from your perspective, share what that means. So what it means to me is um, social capital is uh, our, our networks, our connections, access to um, a community. Um, and to me, social capital is very reciprocal. So um, how reciprocal is my social community in, in, in how I not only advance their goals, but how they support me in advancing my goals? That would be my definition. And I'd love to hear yours. Interesting. Well, uh, to me, it's the, it's the sum of your the some benefit, I suppose, of your relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I completely agree that it's reciprocal. But but if you are in transition, which newcomers to Canada are, and social mm-hmm. capital is talked about at great length in that context. Um, but if you're new to your circumstances and to your context, then your social capital is weaker than if you're established Absolutely. and you have a network and you have communities yes. and you have people that you can call on or ask or, or rely on. And for girls that are entering middle school, uh, that, that entire, their systems have been disrupted. And it does irritate me <laughs> that, that we attribute that to a loss of self-esteem. And I know that there's a lot of uh, study around that. Um, but I wonder if that, that, uh, that concept is, uh, and, and you and I are going to have to continue this conversation. I can tell already. Uh, but I, I do really think that it's applicable in that context. So yeah, for sure. I, and I equated to even, you know, I lived it with my mom where when we first moved here as a newcomer, her only source of economic empowerment um, was to start a small business, right? And this goes back decades. And talk about a lack of social capital initially. Um, yet, what I will say is that when she started her business, this is with limited English, no high school diploma, to be honest. Um, and she did it. And one thing she was very good at, despite the barriers that come with being a new immigrant, is how she built those relationships um, with people like her banker and her lawyer and the community of women that supported her business, um, you know, the, her customers and whatnot. In a way, even though she didn't have access initially and, you know, definitely um, it wasn't easy there, to me, the, the reciprocal nature came through um, her strength and, and her skill in building the re- those relationships in a way that long term, it was reciprocal and it, it allowed her to really thrive over time and be able to um, achieve her goals in, in making sure that we got through high school and, and into university, right? That was her driving motive. And when I look at now at all the resources that are out there for women-owned businesses and whatnot, it makes me think, wow, what could have been possible for her when it comes to not only the social capital piece, but everything else, had she had to live that experience today, right? Yep. 
And and here we go full circle, which is good because I, I'm very much enjoying this conversation. But to me, first of all, thank you for sharing that story of your mother. That's a gem of a story to come up in a conversation like this, especially because, you know, this is a series where where we do talk about sort of uh, money, business and politics and, and women and women entrepreneurs and the importance of uh, financial literacy to economic independence. And and here you have a story of of how your mother uh, sort of started there and built up a life and built up her social capital, but also her economic independence and supported you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's what a, that's a great, great story. So, you know, our listeners are in part that they're, they're mostly parents and educators, um, but some of them are also employers and organizational leaders. So I guess my, my sort of wrap up question is, what would be the one thing that you would want those listeners, our listeners who are wanting to support the beginner women in their lives, whether they are their daughters or their nieces or their uh, neighbors or even their employees, what would be the one thing that they that you would want them to take away from our conversation today? It's a tough question. I know, we've covered a lot of ground. So I would say for parents, encourage your daughters to explore the possibilities, encourage them to take part in programs like Ambitious and others that are out there to really explore what they want to do, right? It's it's about giving them space and supporting them to dream big and really step into what brings them alive when it comes to um, whatever educational path they, they want to take, et cetera. I think that's really important to give them space to dream big and to see anything as possible. For career education folks, I would say... Um, and this is a question I always ask is they do so much hard work. Um, they care about our students and I've seen that firsthand yet. I think there's an opportunity to, um, really look at, again, the experiences of women, the experiences of international students that are women, to really dig deep and look at what I say, the intersection. So move beyond looking at aggregate um, student bodies, aggregate reports, and to really see like, what are the experiences of of our women identifying students? Um, And even go deeper than that to see how can we support them more meaningfully based on their experiences to uh, career, you know, awesome pathways towards that transition into the workplace. Um, So that would be high level, what what I would say for career educators. And for employers, I would say when it comes to recruitment, and I'm seeing like, honestly, Catherine, the conversation around what we're talking about has shifted so much, particularly over the last three to five years. And we do have a, a, a long way to go. But for employers, I would say like move beyond your traditional recruitment channels Tap into, for example, um, student clubs and groups, uh, women in engineering, women in computer science. Um, There's so many different student groups that exist on campuses that are important to tap into. Listen, like really listen to what are the experiences of our early talent, particularly within the profile of who we're talking about. And ultimately, you know, hiring these brilliant young women is one thing, yet creating an inclusive environment where they feel like they really belong is also equally important. And so how do we do that in a genuine way so that they can navigate and advance their careers in a way on their own terms, feeling emboldened and enabled? 
That how's that? How's that? That is like <laughs> perfect. I, I feel like I should stand up and do like a cheer dance because I <laughs> I, I could not agree more. Here, here is what I put on Twitter sometimes. So thank you so much for taking the time today to join me and to sort of wander around this conversation with me because it it did go in in different directions than. Uh, than I could have anticipated just because I could not resist and I'm a total geek. So thank you for sharing your expertise, for sharing your your experience, your lived experience, your professional experience, and uh, for giving us such a positive, I think, and hopeful lens and practical, let's be clear, practical lens on uh, on what we collectively can do to support young women moving forward into the future. So thank you very much. Do you have a final thought you would like to leave us with? I'd like to say my absolute pleasure. And because of what you've noted in terms of what we share in common, keep doing the work that you're doing. It's absolutely awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ambitious is a social purpose venture taking direct aim at the gender gap in leadership by providing leading edge training programs focused on the economic empowerment, leadership development, and career advancement of girls and young women. We are currently developing a network of like-minded partner organizations to deliver our proprietary startup self sessions, which combine financial, digital, and civic literacy in a simulated entrepreneurial experience. Suitable for girls and young women aged 13 and up, the startup self sessions are empowering a new generation of beginner women to become whoever and whatever they want to be. Qualified delivery partners are provided comprehensive training, licensed curriculum, a full suite of program materials, and access to an online community of practice. Focused on real-life learning, ambitious programs are equipping a new generation of entrepreneurs, leaders, and decision-makers with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. If you are a like-minded organization interested in joining our next cohort of delivery partners, let's talk. Visit ambitious.ca for more information and to get in touch. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on Beginner Women, a show where we throw out our adult agendas to shape a new future for girls. Check out our show notes for the resources we talked about in today's episode and for the actionable insights you can use to nurture and empower the girls you know. If you like what you hear on our show, write us a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe wherever you find your favorite shows. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Ambitious. That's A-M-B-I-S-H-E-O-U-S. 